the, the month of December, we're typically preaching through a book of the Bible. I'm just kind of chapter by chapter working our way through it. And what we're doing right now is we're looking at some, some core values that we have here at Redeemer. And so it means um, our Sunday morning text right now, we're bouncing around a little bit more or a lot more than we normally would be. And so um, last week we looked at the fact that we want to be a church that is reflective of our community, that we look like Pampa, and that we want to be a church that's gospel-centered. Um, and, and this morning we're going to look at two more. And I, I want to encourage those of you who have been around Redeemer for a little longer um, I think it'd be easy right now to think, okay, I've, I think I've got these, and to just kind of check them off, and to feel like these messages maybe aren't as much for you, um, and, and to just know that there is a tremendous um, tendency for us just to drift, right? As we think about being in a boat in the water, if we're not putting effort into these things, then the, right, the boat's moving even if we're not trying to move it. Um, and so, just as a reminder for our own hearts that, that even if you've heard some of this before, um, it's, even if it's not new, that it is still beneficial um, and that the Spirit will use it to, to sharpen us and to grow us. Um, I think there's a, a tendency as, as believers to look at following Jesus as a little bit of a buffet line, okay? Where we kind of look at the things that we want and, we, and, the, and so the things that Jesus has asked of us that are easy for us and our, our temperament and our personality easier, man, we, we're all over that. Stuff that's harder, we're just going to kind of pretend like we don't know that. Um, and so we look at, maybe it's, it's church attendance, maybe it's evangelism, right? Maybe it's just different commands. And, and then in the midst of that, I think what the, the American church has done often is we've created then two classes of Christians, right? And so we've had the, those who are just a part of the church and then those who are vocational ministers. And we're like, okay, those, those people, they'll do the bulk of the work. And if, if they need me to help occasionally, you know, they'll give me my marching orders and, and I'll come along and, and do what I can. But they're going to do the work. And that just isn't the case, right? That in, in Exodus, we see as, as God is calling his people out of Egypt and, and making them his own possession, we see this in 1 Peter 2, that the, the, the language that's in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is the church is the kingdom, is a kingdom of priests. That we all are called to know the Lord and to obey the Lord and to pursue the Lord. And so there is a mission that has been given that is not just for those who, who take a paycheck from the church. It's been given to all of us who would say that Jesus has rescued us. That, w- that we would say he's ours and, and that we are his that we would claim that we know him, that there is a calling upon all of our lives. Now look, the, the way your week and my week might differ, right, is, is maybe big, but that we're called to be on mission. We're called to make much of Jesus in wherever he has called us, wherever he has placed us, wherever he has led us. Whatever town that is, whatever job that is, whatever family that is, whatever neighborhood that is. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to talk about what it looks like to be a missional people, a missional church. It's a word that doesn't get thrown around a ton um, in a lot of circles, um, but to be missional means that we are living sent, that we have been sent by our Creator, that we have a task and a mission and a goal, and that we want to live on mission. And so this morning, I want us to look at what this, what this looks like to be on mission. And first and foremost, I think where we just have to start is to clarify and to make sure that we're not assuming here is what is the mission, 
Like, what is the mission that we are called to? And so let's, let's start there. Um, Matthew 28 is where we will begin. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. Megan's going to do her best to keep up with me. Um, you can write these down if you want to ask afterwards if, if, you, if you aren't able to keep up. But verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, meaning the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So you see what Jesus says is like he's, he's about to um, ascend back to heaven and he's telling them, here's what I've called you to do and it's to go and it's to make disciples and it's to teach them the things that you've observed and seen and learned from me. And, and this idea of as, as you go, it's, it's as you are living your life and, and all that you're doing, go and be making disciples. And so I think often when we think of mission, we think of mission as I go and do it and then it's done and it's accomplished and I put a check mark by it and then I come back and I live my life and then I'm called to another mission and I go and do that. But what mission is, is that it's the, the call upon the life of anyone who Jesus has rescued, anyone that he has called into his family to spend the rest of our life making disciples of bringing people to the knowledge and the understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit that they would know and trust and love Jesus, that we would teach them to observe the things that he has revealed and taught us already. And it's why we are the recipients of that. We, some believer or multiple believers has impacted your life. And, and then they would look and say there were believers who impacted their life and then believers who impacted all the way back to this, that we are recipients of the great commission. And for the church to continue, we continue to pass this on, that we continue to make disciples and point people to Jesus. In Acts 1, as Jesus is, is literally about to ascend, the disciples say, okay, but how long do we have to do it? And he says, until I return. Right? Until he splits the sky, until he comes back for us, this is the call and the mission and the command on our life. And so it has been for 2,000 years, and it will continue until Jesus stops history, until he returns for us. And so in Genesis 1, we are reminded that we are created to know God and to walk with him. It's what we were meant for. Sin has separated us. And in Genesis 12, he calls Abraham and says, I'm gonna make, he was, Abraham was a pagan. And he says, I'm going to make of you a nation. And, you're, and the, the world will see the way that I treat you and the way that you follow me, and the nations will be drawn to us. Right? So they will see the one true God. Now the Old Testament then is a story of Israel occasionally doing this well and mostly struggling to do this at all. And God continuing to just pursue them and to love them and to minister to them. And then Paul says in Galatians, at the right time, Jesus stepped into history. And Jesus steps into history, right, to rescue us, to give us, to restore us to the Father, to bring us back to where we were meant to be. And so then much of the rest of the New Testament is this call to reflect the glory of God. It's the same call that Israel had, right? That as we live in relationship to our king, that people will be drawn to that, that they'll see it and they'll want to know him. 
They'll want to, they'll want to be with him because they'll see him as good and faithful king until Jesus returns, where we will then spend eternity with him, knowing him in, in, in harmony. And so last week we looked at that we want to be a gospel-centered church, and that, that's simply a reminder that everything that we do has to be through the lens of the gospel, because otherwise what are we doing? That this is the message of hope and of peace and of good news to a world that desperately needs it. And then the second was that we want to be reflective of our community, which means it is for everyone. There's no one that we don't take this message to in Pampa, in the Panhandle, in Texas, in the states, or to the nations. That our calling is as we live, that we are to make disciples of Jesus for as long as he gives us and wherever he takes us. Near or far. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to turn there. Beginning in verse 17, Paul writes this. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ a believer. He's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled, who's made us right to himself, and listen, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see our mission. That because we have been rescued, because we have been made right and reconciled through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, that then he tasks us with the ministry of reconciliation. Not that we are able to save, but that we are to share the message. We are ambassadors on behalf of the one who has rescued us. That we want more people to see him and to know him and to recognize him and to worship him because the good news is is that he has rescued us and that he is worthy. So, we see what the mission is. I want us to make sure this morning we're also reminded of why we do it. You see a bit of it here in 2 Corinthians 5, that God has reconciled us, that he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf for our rescue. But Jesus left heaven, right? It's the season that we're literally celebrating now is that Jesus left heaven, right? He emptied himself to put on flesh, to walk with those who are sinners and rebels and enemies and opposed to him, who did not recognize him, who did not want him, and who would end up killing him. That he has pursued us. In Mark 10, Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man came... Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We we are on mission 
Because Jesus has been on mission. Because he's come for us. He has come to rescue us, to know us, to love us, to pursue us. That Jesus was sent. And so when we say we want to be a missional people, we want to live sent, it's because we have an example in Christ that he lived sent. He came for us, to know us. In John, like we could just read a list of verses from John of him talking about that I came, that I was sent, that I've come from the Father just over and over and over again, chapter after chapter. And so I only want to read just one. If you want a list, I can give you a list. But this is John 6.38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right? Like that Jesus was sent. And so he has not, he's not asking us to do something that he himself hasn't done. That he has been sent and he is now sending us. That he has come in the flesh. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. And that he gets it. Right? Like he, he lived life. He was sinned against. He was mocked. He was humiliated. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He had his closest friends not get it. Right? Not understand what was going on. Like things that we have experienced. That you have been mocked that you've been humiliated, that you've been betrayed, that you've been sinned against, that you've had people not get it. Like that this is our life and that we have a Savior who has lived it, who understands. And then that we do this because He's accomplished our rescue. He's done it. We don't have to add anything to it. He has secured it through His perfect, obedient life, through His sacrificial and innocent death, and through his resurrection of beating sin and Satan and death. So when he promises that we're not alone, that he's with us and he understands. He tells the disciples in John 14, like, look, the hope is, is that I'm giving you prayer. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to encourage you and to guide you. I'm still alive, so you're praying to me. And, and heaven is awaiting you. This is all the motivation that we need. And then we have that picture in in Revelation where the nations are are worshiping our king. They're singing to him, worthy is the lamb. People from all over the world and from all of history. That picture should motivate us that Jesus is worthy of worship in my life and in, in, in others' lives because he is worthy and so he deserves more worship and more worshipers. And so we want to be a part of what he's doing to see his name known and to see Jesus be made famous. So then in John 20, 21, he says this. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That he's sending us. So, second core value, and we're going to get back to this mission in just a second, but the second core value that we have here is that we want to be simple. And and what we mean by that is we don't mean simple-minded. We don't mean cheap. We don't mean lazy. We don't mean a lack of planning. But that we want to be stripped down, not bogged down 
in all of the activities in, in the machine of keeping a, a week of church going, right, of all the things that we have to do to please everyone. And, and right now the Lord's doing something over here, so we got to like, well, we got to carry our, our golden, like, programs over here, right? Or we got to kill them, the golden cows that the church has always done. We want to be fast and loose and able to move to wherever the Lord is working. And so when we meet and when we gather together in gospel communities and on Sunday morning and occasionally like for the, the women's study or for the men's thing, like when we do those things, we want them to be rich and meaningful and impactful and to meet with our king as a family together. But we don't want to keep you so busy with activities that you miss Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can be really full, have a full week of biblical activities and Bible studies and all these things, and we can miss obedience. That God has called us to some faithfulness, right? He's called us to love one another and called us to, to dozens of one another statements, and he's called us to make his name known, and he's called us to love our neighbor. And if you're only here, you can't do that. And so we've got to find a balance of pursuing Jesus together as a family and then living in the world that is in desperate need of him. And if we're not careful, we can, we can be fooled into thinking we're doing exactly what Jesus wants and never interact with people at all. Because we're just busy doing religious things. But we want you to be on mission. We want obedience over busyness. We want obedience over activity. Honestly, uh, I think a lot of why this happens is because we're afraid of boredom. And as a church, we're afraid to let someone say, why don't you offer more stuff? Oh, you want something? Okay, let's, we'll offer it because we don't want you to leave. We don't want you to be bored. It's the, same, right, it's the same thing parents struggle with, that balance of, right? But in, in boredom, right, our kids are forced to, like, be creative, and often, it's in, in the boredom of the lack of spiritual activities that we realize that we're actually called to something, and there's something to do, and that there's ministry all around us, that we can pursue people, and we trust the Spirit to do these things, that He's going to rescue, and that He's going to save, and that people are not too far gone. And so, we want to meet, and we love these times. But then we want to go out to a world and take that message and take that hope that we have to those who are in desperate need of it. And so when we say simple, that's what we mean by simple, right? We just, we, we don't want to be entertained. We don't want to be full of activity. We want to be faithful and we want to be obedient. And so the last thing this morning as we go back into mission is now how do we do this? How do we live with this kind of intentionality? When Carmen and I were moving to Yemen, you better believe we studied Yemen, right? We learned the language, we learned the people, we learned the culture, we learned as much of the history as we could because we were going into a place that was foreign to us, that was different than us, that people thought differently, their logic was different, their reasoning was different, the, the way they came to decision making, everything was different. And so we tried to, with as much intentionality as we could, walk into it as prepared as we could. And so people were intrigued by that. They wanted to know, you know, what we were learning and, and what, we, what we were doing with it and how those relationships were going. 
And the honest truth is, is we don't always live with the same intentionality in our own home. That we don't look with purpose at the people around us. And so, the fact was, in Yemen, much of what we were doing was what we do here. We were loving one another, we were pursuing Jesus together, and we were getting to know our neighbors. We're just doing it in a different place. And, and so, like, we went with intentionality because it was far off and it was different and it, and it felt like, you know, like missions. And then we're like, we, but we're so comfortable and we're so used to Pampa or to the panhandle that we're like, we just kind of live our life without intentionality if we're not careful. That we just do our thing and we're never thinking about others and how we could actively pursue them. It's because the average Yemeni, I knew... I, if I don't learn about him, I can't engage him in conversation. So how do we consider Pampa? How do we consider the panhandle? And one of the things we have to consider is that people here assume that they know the gospel. They assume they already know Jesus. And so we can't. We can't assume that they do. Like we, we have to actually share it and actually show it in the way that we live because most people would say, yes, I believe that, and they don't know Jesus at all. But they live in an area where people talk about him enough that they think, okay, I I probably am one of those. I'm I'm one of those Christians because I was born here. Paul writes in Colossians 4, uh, verse 5, He says, I want you to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. So are we walking in wisdom? Are we being intentional and using our time in a way that would would bring the gospel to bear, that would give us opportunity to share it, to speak the truth and the hope of Jesus, that we have a God who has rescued us, like a God who has stepped out of history and stepped out of heaven, and stepped into history, excuse me, and stepped out of heaven, and has come for us and said, you're mine. Like the good news that we have been rescued and received, that God is not sitting on heaven saying, figure it out, be moral, try harder, do better, and we get exhausted and crushed. Instead, we're saying, like, Jesus is enough, and you didn't have to be. Like, that's good news. And are are we giving ourselves opportunities for this to happen? Another passage, this is 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read beginning in verse 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we're doing. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What, what Peter is saying here is this. As the church, we have to live in tension. We have to find this balance between being in the world that is going to often not like the things that we have to say. They're going to be offended by the gospel. They're going to be offended by the, that we're going to call sin, sin. That we're going to say that sin separates us from God. They're going to be offended by those things. But he says, like, right, 
You gotta, you gotta be out there and do that. Which means that then sometimes church people are gonna say, oh, you're in the world too much. Do you know what they're doing? Do you know what they're saying? It appears that you might be approving of their sin. And so if, if we're living this faithfully, both sides are gonna be saying stuff. The world's gonna say, ah, we're offended by that. And the church, and the, or sorry, the religious are often gonna say, you're too much like the world, right? Finding this tension and this balance here, because what, what Peter says to them is keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So he's saying you're going to be engaged with them, you're going to be involved with them, so that when they see your, when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. Do you see that both are happening? That persecution is happening and people are speaking and glorifying God. Both. And so, right, that's, that's an awkward place to be. Where some people are saying, we see it and we trust it and we love Jesus and we're glorifying God because you have faithfully walked in our midst. Because he has faithfully walked in our midst. And others are saying, bunch of hypocrites, bigots. Can't believe you would call that sin. I can't believe you would say that. So, the means is we are walking faithfully in the world that there will be those who will rejoice and they will be rescued and they'll trust Jesus and they will glorify him and there will be others that want to punch you in the mouth. If you're only getting punched in the mouth, you're a jerk. Right? Because Paul doesn't say there's a category that you just get to walk out and then say, right, sinners, fornicate. Right? Like you don't just get to yell at the world. We are humble because we have been rescued and we did not deserve it. And we are servants and we faithfully love and serve a world that apart from the rescue of Jesus is going to die apart from him. And so there should be those who are going, no, you're too much. Like that, that's going to happen. Peter tells us it's going to happen. But there should also be those who are glorifying God because of your faithful good deeds, your glorious deeds. Your consistent and faithful and steady service of them that will make them look at Jesus differently and then he rescues them and they say, it was because you were faithful among us. That both of these have to happen. That we cannot withdraw from the world into a holy huddle and do our good stuff and say, why is no one looking at us? Because we're not engaged with the world. But we have to understand that persecution will come and that's not reason to pull back. But it has to come because of Jesus. Not because you're a jerk. Not because you enjoy telling people how wrong they are. That you would go as a humble servant, not smarter, not arrogant, not saying I'm better than you. But saying, look at what I found. It's really good. And I'm glad to share it with you because I don't deserve it. God has given it graciously and faithfully. He has pulled me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So a few practical things here. People aren't projects. People know if you've marked them as a project. They don't like it and they don't appreciate it. We have to view people as people. Right? Those who God has created and loves and those who need to know him to worship him. That will view people as people and not as projects.
We have to be reminded, and we have to be reminded of this often, you're not the Holy Spirit. So you can't make someone be transformed. You cannot twist someone's arm into believing. You cannot guilt them or condemn them or Jesus juke them into like, I have to believe now because you're so much smarter than me. That what we're called to is faithful presence. Jesus came in the flesh to walk with us for 30 plus years. And the disciples at the end of his life were just kind of going, maybe we get it. And the Spirit connected things for him. We are called to faithfully love and to pursue folks and trust the Spirit will connect dots. The Spirit will transform. The Spirit will bring understanding and clarity and they will hear Jesus call their name and rescue them. This is not about notches in your belt, about how good you are, right? This is about the long haul, long relationships, trusting that the Lord is going to use them for transformation. The not that we, that we create some quote of like, well, I've told you about Jesus six times. Um, you've rejected it six times, so to hell with you. That we're willing to walk with people over the long haul, just present and pointing them to Jesus faithfully and loving them genuinely and faithfully, sacrificially serving them, that we would see that we do this wherever we go and in all of our life, that this is not simply a Sunday thing, it's not simply a gospel community thing, it's not simply because I'm in Pampa and I'm currently going to Redeemer, that, that your life should look like the one who is pursuing Jesus and pursuing people wherever you live. Like, do we really believe this morning that God has placed you in the family and in the neighborhood, in the town, and in the job that he has for a reason to use you for his glory? And I think often we don't. We think the best thing we could do is maybe get them into here on Sunday morning, and then it's up to me. And that's just, that's not what, God has placed you in those people's life as a believer, as a light to love them and to faithfully serve them and to point them to Jesus. And so here's what this looks like as as a parent or as a caregiver for someone older at this point in their life, right? Like that we reflect the character of the Father. So we're long-suffering, right? That we're merciful, that we serve them, that we, we point them to Jesus, that we trust Jesus, that when we screw up, we repent, that we model the behavior that God has given to us, that we say when we haven't. You've heard me say, like, I've, I've, I've apologized and asked my children for forgiveness. It's an embarrassing thing to do. But I want them to understand that, that that's what adults do. It's what believers do. That it's what we do before the Lord. And so your faithful care for an aging parent or grandparent, your faithful day in and day out care for a child is reflecting the character of God who is willing to just walk with us pursue us, that it was his kindness that led us to repentance. And for very few of us, the first time we heard of Jesus, did we believe. We were transformed over the long haul, over faithful care, service, and pointing of Jesus. That it worked, that we would work not whether our boss is good or crappy, right? That we work because we work as to the Lord with, our, with effort and with integrity, caring about our coworkers, being long-suffering, right? Like bringing grace into this place. Not being driven by money, but being driven by, by the desire to see God work and move. 
both through our words and through our actions. That we would involve people in the rhythms of our life. That if you have hobbies that you're thinking through, which of my neighbors also have this hobby? Which of the people in my life or on my kids' sports team, do their parents have this hobby? And they may or may not know Jesus. So I'm going to involve them in my life because I believe the gospel is real and the Holy Spirit is working. And that if God continues to put believers amongst unbelievers, people are going to see his faithfulness and trust him. They're going to love him, and they're going to worship him, and that he may choose to use me to do that. And he does not need us, but he allows us to be a part of this. That we do this with holidays, as we have folks in our homes. We do this with our neighbors. And the question, ultimately, as you think about your kids' sports team, or you think about your neighbors, or you think about your coworkers, right now, do they view you as someone who cares? Like if you decided, hey, tomorrow I'm telling you about Jesus, would it be a clanging gong because there has been no love? None. And so all of a sudden now it feels like a commercial. You're like, oh, pastor may have talked about evangelism yesterday, and you're here to like take some guilt off. People know when, you're getting a, when they're getting a commercial, right? They know when someone's being a salesman. They also know when someone's being genuine, even when they don't have it slick or smooth, right? Even when they don't have all the answers, because we don't. When we have questions, too. Like, they, they appreciate humble, genuine concern and compassion for them. Would they want to hear from you at all? Right? Like, that, that we have to understand it. If we have been the recipients of this, that we are to be conduits, modeling and reflecting the character of our God. So it means that we begin to look faithful, steady, compassionate, long-suffering, forgiving, merciful, gracious, loving, consistent, present. Just thing after thing after thing, virtue after virtue after virtue, and not because you're better but because you've been rescued and because the Spirit is transforming you to look like your good Father. So this morning, the, the call is this. First is, have you been rescued? Like, has Jesus rescued you? And then if He has, are you living, looking at all of your life with intentionality to be on mission for the glory of God? Church, we, we could talk about this for sermon after sermon, week on ends for a while. This is a huge topic, tons of passages. But what we want to do is just be reminded that this is why we celebrate the season. It's because Jesus has come and he's, He was sent, and that He has sent us all year for all of life. And it, look, you may be thinking, I don't even know how, where to start. Involve others, right? Like this is, this is one of the, the great things about being a church family is that often people are drawn to, to interactions, right? They're, they're seeing the apologetic, the defense of the gospel because of how we love each other and how we forgive one another, how we care for one another, how we pursue one another, that we bring them in so they can see a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of considering the world. And so if you don't know where to start, man, just be willing to say, hey, someone help me think through this in my life. I don't, I don't know how to look at my life with intentionality. That's okay. 
Carmen and I are constantly rehashing this conversation as our world changes, right? We're having the conversation now as we think, okay, our life's fairly hectic right now, and we're going to add a baby to that. What's going to give? What's going to change? How do we continue to want to? How do we continue to live on mission when when time gets crunched more? Like it's a, it's an ongoing conversation constantly. So, church, the the band is going to come back up here in just a moment, and we're going to respond, and we're going to respond in a couple ways. We want to sing to our King who's rescued us. Like let, let us not forget that that we have been recipients of something that we do not deserve. And because of that, we have something to offer. And so maybe you just need to sing to your king because you've been reminded this morning that you're a rescued person. It may be that the Spirit is wooing and calling and rescuing you even now. Or it may be that, that you have someone's, mind, someone's name or face on your mind that you just want to pray for them this morning. Or the Lord is showing you where you could be more consistent or more intentional. If you need someone to talk with, pray with, there'll be some folks in the back. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then after a moment, the band will come up. Um, at that point, we'll, we'll stand and we'll sing to our King. But let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have pursued us, that you did not leave us as rebels, as enemies, that you did not leave us lost, but that you have brought us into your family as sons and daughters, that you love us. Father, would you give us eyes to see in our own life, in our own world, where there are those who need to be pursued, walked with over the long haul. Jesus, we ask that you would rescue them. As we think of those faces and those names even now, God, would we not see them as projects, but as people that that we love and that you love. And Lord, we long for the day where they would stand and sing with us that you are enough, that you are sufficient, and that you are their rescuer. Father, would we live our lives longing to to see more folks know you, trust you, and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.